Now, Pastor Brent has been talking about marriage and relationships, but tonight I'm turning the corner a little bit. I'm gonna be talking about investing in the next generation, investing in our kids. Now, see, if you have kids and you're a parent, this is gonna be very relevant for you. But if you're not parents, or you don't have kids, or you have kids that have already moved out of the house, this talk is still for you, because it takes all of us. We all have a role to play in raising our kids. The Baha'i tribe of Africa has a proverb. It says, a child belongs not to one parent or home. Now, many African tribes have a proverb like this, so much so that there's a general African proverb. You may have heard it, it says, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a child. And that's true, we believe in that at City Church, and I know because it took a village to raise me. So when my mom got pregnant with me, she was unmarried and she didn't really know what to do, so she moved in with her uncle and his wife. Now, if you're trying to do the mental genealogy right now, that means I lived with my biological mom, my great uncle, and great aunt. And that's who I call my parents. That's right, two moms and a dad. It took me till I was about eight to notice that maybe we were a little bit different than some of the other families. I'd think, huh, I wonder where their second mom is. <laughs> that's kind of weird. Now, it had some advantages and it had some disadvantages. There was always someone home. And there was always someone home. It was really hard to get into trouble or have any alone time. This past year, my father passed away, the man I call dad, my great uncle, and I've been assessing his impact on my life. And so many of the things he did made me who I am today. It takes a village. I'm a son, but now I am also a parent. I've been married to my lovely, beautiful, wonderful wife for 13 years. That's definitely for her. And we have two kids now, two boys, six and two. They are, yeah, they're cute. One of them is a lawyer, one of them is a Viking. I can explain after service what that looks like. I'll never forget our first child. Taking them home from the hospital, we push, they push my wife out there in the wheelchair and I pull the car around and we start getting in and I started thinking, you're just gonna let us go? Like nobody's gonna come home with us? Isn't there a manual or something we have to sign or a course we have to take? But no, they just sent us home. And I kid you not, it took us 15 minutes to drive two blocks. And after that 15 minutes, we pulled over at the closest McDonald's and my wife got out of the front seat and into the back seat with the baby. I don't know, in case the newborn jumped out of the car seat? I don't know. It's hard being a parent. Parenting is hard and every parent struggles. It's because we're not meant to do it by ourselves. We're not meant to be alone in parenting. It takes a village. See, for the longest time in human history, we lived in villages. That's how we lived, that's what we knew. The city was something that was created much later. See, we're wired by God to courageously connect. That's what we've been talking about. And when you courageously connect, you create a community. And when you have a community, that's a village. That's what that is. 
and it takes a village to raise a child. See, now we're a little more isolated. We live isolated, separate lives. And if we're married, we put the stress of the village on our spouse. We expect them to do everything when it comes to raising children, and that can be hard. I know some of y'all have had the argument, I need more help, right? Nope, you've never heard that? Okay. It's stress, it's tension in our marriage because we're putting the responsibility of the village on our spouse. This goes for whatever kind of family you're in, and I know we have all sorts of families. I told you about my different family, but I know you do too. Single parents, co-parenting, blended family, raising by, getting raised by your grandparents, being adoptive parents. We have all kinds of families here, but everyone needs the village. So everyone in this room, this section, this section, this section, everyone plays a part in the success of our kids. Will you say our kids with me? They're our kids. In every stage of life, you are part of investing in this next generation. As a parent, I'm begging you, we need you. We need your help. If you're in high school or college, we need you. If you don't have kids, we need you. If you have young kids, we need you. If you have grown kids, we need you. If you have grandkids, we need you. And let me give a special shout out to my 65 plus crowd, the elders. If you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> we need your wisdom. We love you. We need your wisdom. So if it takes a village, how can we raise our kids well? Well, here at City Church, we believe the Bible offers answers for all of life's problems, including raising kids. We turn to Psalm 127.3 to get started, and it says, children are a gift from the Lord. See, kids belong to God first. That's why he gives them as a gift. He created them, and one day they will return to him. We are just their parents while they're here, and since they are a gift, I need you to know, God didn't attach a gift receipt. We cannot return them. There's no take backs on this one. See, God loves our children and he loves you. He loves them so much that he's put parents in place to look out for them. That's why we're here, but not just parents, the village. We are their caretakers. We are helping them come from being little kids to being grownups. That's our job because as you may know, little kids are terrible adults. We have to help them get there. A side note, and for people who haven't been able to have kids but have been trying, I wanna tell you something. This verse does not mean you've done anything wrong, and this doesn't mean that God is punishing you in any way. I know that this might be painful, but hang in there with me for this talk, okay? Now that psalm was written by King Solomon, one of the great kings in all of Israel. He lived more than 3,000 years ago and he was known as the wisest man on earth, perhaps the wisest man in history. And he wrote a book called Proverbs that you can find in your Bible. And he wrote this not as some big grand idea to be passed down for thousands of years, he wrote it for his children. He collected his wisdom and wrote it for his children. And in Proverbs 4, 6, this is what he wrote. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. 
Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Our goal as the village is to help our children be wise. We want them to acquire wisdom because wisdom will prepare them for the trials of life and will protect them from some of the dangers. I know that it's hard, parents, but at some point, we're gonna have to let go of our kids and they're gonna be on their own. And if they don't have wisdom, they are going to struggle and they're going to fail. To be able to pass on wisdom, we should be wise ourselves. So what does it mean to be wise? Proverbs 9, 10, Solomon tells us more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Solomon makes it easy. Wisdom is knowing God. That's what it means. Now, if you're visiting, you're coming to see somebody dedicate a child, you're not sure about this God thing, I want you to know you're welcome here, even if you don't believe that. But I wanna tell you, what we believe is that there is a God and that he loves you. See, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, but that sounds weird. Should we be scared of God? No, we shouldn't be scared of God. Now again, some of us were raised in a very legalistic tradition that there's an angry God up there and if you get out of line, he's looking to smack you down. That's not what we're talking about with fear. That's not our God. See, healthy fear, this is what it means. It's a loving respect for God that leads us to humbly submit. It's not by force, he doesn't press us down. It's by choice. Have you ever been next to something just so big and so massive that it has made you feel small? Like maybe the ocean or the Grand Canyon or one of those big pizzas from Big Lou's, those giant pizzas? But it's so big it makes you feel small. And think about the presence of God like that times 10 million. This is the creator of the universe that put everything here, that knows every hair on your head. This is a big God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of all. So a healthy fear, that's why we worship him. He's so much bigger than us. We worship a God that big and a God that great. And worship isn't just singing songs here on a Saturday or on a Sunday. Worship is about how we live our lives in obedience. All right, parents, village, how can we help our kids be wise? What do we actually do to help them acquire wisdom? Well, Solomon is back again in Proverbs 22, 6, and this is what he says. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. The word direct in Hebrew refers to a narrowing, a narrowing. So it's narrowing down the right path. We're limiting options because as we all know, there are lots of paths in life. There are lots of choices and many of them are bad. And I gotta be honest, I feel bad for kids these days. There are so many more choices and so many more options that they have. Our job to help them acquire wisdom is to narrow, direct them on the right path. That sounds good, but how do we even do that? As many of you know, kids don't listen. 
How many times do you have to ask your child to clean their room before they do it? The answer is zero because they never do it. <laughs> never. You're six. How dirty can your room possibly be? Now I'm just venting. Here's the bottom line though, parents, and I need you to get this, and village, I need you to get this too. Kids probably won't do what you say, but they'll do what you do. Kids probably won't do what you say, but they will do what you do. Parents, your kids are gonna learn to live by how you live. Village, we are the examples. We are their role models. They're gonna do what we do. So if we want our kids to thrive and follow Jesus, what do we need to do? We need to follow Jesus. See, the path, think of it, right? We want them on the right path. There's a big difference between showing the right path and telling the right path. There's a big, big difference. They will follow us. Kids probably won't do what we say, but they will do what we do. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. The, a little while ago, probably when my son was about three or four, we're driving home and we're a couple blocks from home and I see him start to try to unbuckle his child safety thing in his seat and I lose my mind and I pull over, what are you doing? You know how dangerous that is? And he goes, dad, it's what you always do. And what I came to realize was that when we were a couple blocks from home, I'd unbuckle my seatbelt. But you know what else I realized? That's what my dad did. I didn't know it, I didn't realize it, but it's been passed down from generation to generation and that's dangerous. And they'll imitate other behavior too that's not about seatbelts. The way you talk to people, the way you treat people, especially the way you treat your spouse, they're going to do what you do. Now, following Jesus isn't a guarantee that our kids will follow Jesus. It's just not a guarantee. But it is more likely. Studies show that 82% of kids kept their faith into young adulthood and beyond if three things happened. One, parents talked about their faith at home on a regular basis. Two, parents attached great importance to their beliefs. And three, parents were active in the church. Those are the three ingredients that kept 82% of kids following their faith. The Bible says it, research agrees with it. If we can direct them onto the right path, they will not leave it. Well, Part of directing them onto the right path is understanding where they are because as some of my older folks know, you can't treat every kid the same and you can't treat them the same kid the same at every age. New York Times best-selling author and world-famous pastor Andy Stanley and his wife Sandra have created four parenting stages that help you understand how to best parent your kids. See, ages zero to five, they call it the discipline stage. And what we have to teach kids there is that there are consequences for their actions because they don't come out knowing that fire hurts or that electrical sockets will shock them or not to wander into the road. They need discipline. 
They need discipline to show them that their actions will have consequences and we really just have to keep them safe. It is a wonder that any of our kids survive before they're five. I, I just don't understand how we do it. Five to 12 is the training stage. See, five to 12, you put the why to the what. It's not just consequences for behavior. It's not just discipline. You have to tell them why. And if you have a kid five to 12 or remember having a kid five to 12, you know that why is the only thing they ask anyway. Why is the sky blue? Why does this do that? How does the internet work? All of the things that kids may ask, they're curious. And this is a crucial time to let them know about Jesus and why we do the things we do. That's the training stage. If your kids are 12 through 18, that's the coaching stage. It's giving advice from the sidelines. Now this is a difficult thing for parents to do because it's more about connecting than it is about correcting. It's more about connecting than it is about correcting. You have to be building a relationship with your kids and helping give them advice so that we can direct them onto the right path because they are asserting their independence. Unless a decision is dangerous, life-altering, or something that they can't possibly take back, it's probably better to let them make the mistake and then talk to them about it afterwards. You're gonna want that relationship in the long term. And then 18 plus, once kids are adults, is the friendship stage. You start to get to know each other friends and process life together, which is why we need them to move out. <laughs> it's a lot harder to be friends with your roommates but in this stage, if you've built the relationship, if you've connected, then you can enjoy your parents as friends. I've really just started to get to know my parents since I've had kids, and they're really interesting. They're good people, and I also know why they're they were tired all the time when they were raising me, because I have two kids now, and they have great advice. So when they're 18 plus, you wanna process life together with that friendship. All right, now I have some practical advice from you, right? How do we lead our children on the right path? How do we continue to do that? First, parents. Parents, I want you to courageously connect with your family. I want you to invest in their spiritual growth. Pray together at bedtime. Download the Bible app and read it together. Put worship music on the playlist. Another thing I'd like to ask you to do is to send your kids to Kid City or City Youth. There's some amazing things they've designed to help be a resource for your kid. They send home like little God time things with your kids. It's a really good way to talk to them about God and help impart some wisdom. In City Youth, they meet with groups of peers and they hear about the Bible and they hear about Jesus and they can talk about their problems. I wanna ask you to send them there. Now Village, my folks that don't have kids or don't have kids anymore, I'm gonna ask you to sacrificially give because it takes a village to raise a child. I want you to give your time. You can volunteer at Kid City or City Youth. You don't need to be a teacher. You barely have to like kids to do it. <laughs> but they need your help. It takes a village. You can go to city.church volunteer or you can head out into the plaza and sign up with them. They'll be there. I want you to give your time, but you don't even have to do it here. 
You can be a mentor in a school. You could coach a team. You could join the PTA. You could stand out and help kids get in and out of their car when there's pickup and drop off. Just give your time. I'll never forget the youth volunteer that helped change my life. I didn't know anything about God until I got to high school and started going to a youth group. And there was this guy, Randy. He wasn't a pastor. He was just a dude. You know what I mean? He was just a guy, and he showed up every week with a bunch of rowdy teenage boys and told them about Jesus, and because of Randy, I'm here where I am today. You can be a Randy. You can be a Randy, and it's important. The other thing I'm gonna ask you to do to sacrificially give, give your time, but also give your money. When you give, you're investing in the next generation. You're helping create a safe place, a loving place for kids to come, a place that can help direct them on the right path. If you wanna give, you can go to city.church/give or give out in the lobby with cash, check, or credit card, whatever that is. And I'll tell you that Kid City's personally impacted my family. Since my oldest child was like 10 weeks old, he's been going to Kid City. I was talking to the Kid City director a couple weeks ago, and she said, hey, this week we're doing a very special service. We're gonna present the gospel. We're gonna tell the kids about Jesus and give them an opportunity to respond that they have believed. So I was pretty excited. So when I got my son from Kid City, I said, hey, what happened today? And he told me all about it. He said, well, there was this water, and then they put this red stuff in the water, and that's our sin, and that's not good. But then they poured this other thing in the water, and it cleared all the red stuff out, and it's like Jesus takes our sins away. But then they tried to pour more red stuff in, and then it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even mess up the water because Jesus takes our sins away forever. And I was like, hey, that's cool, buddy. And I'm thinking this is a great moment. Did you believe? And he looks at me, and he goes, Dad, I've always believed in Jesus. That's why Kid City is important. That's why I'm asking you to sacrificially give. We can raise kids that always believe in Jesus. This week, we lost several kids for no good reason. And my heart even breaks for the kids that shot the kids. Our kids need the village. They need us. We need each other. We live in these cycles over and over again, passing down bad behavior, family curses, worst ways, and we do it over and over and over again. What would our lives look like? What would our communities look like? What would this world look like if we stepped up to break the cycle? They can be better than us. They can, but it takes a village.